I don't know. Have you ever scored from a corner, Karen? Have you ever taken a corner? I've never. Absolutely not. I only give them away. Okay, let's talk about the Irish bias. Keep up to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. So we're talking England 15, Ireland 32. Tries from James Lowe, Hugo Keenan, Jack Conan and Finlay Bealham. A record winning margin at Twickenham for Ireland. There was a win for Scotland in Rome. And then a case of what could have been, I suppose, in Cardiff for Wales. Very happy to bring in Fiona Hayes and Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times. Fiona, you're there? I'm here, Joe. Good to be here. Never has a record winning margin at Twickenham been greeted with so much criticism and indifference and crossed arms. So talk to us about this Irish performance. <laughs> um, I I wasn't I wasn't too um, upset with the performance. I, I think a big thing for me was obviously the decisions at Scrum. And that's been the talk, I think, of uh, of everyone since that game. But I, I was I, I was talking to Jerry earlier. I, I look back in those scrums today. I pause it. I watch the angles. And I think if literally in the first half, especially Genge hips were absolutely nearly kicking out to the sideline where he was he was boring in and angling in so much. So I think that upset the whole flow of the game um, to come away like they did. They started really well, finished really well. But there was, I think it was something like 17 turnovers in the middle of that. And that is an area that really, really upset people. And I think the English line speed and pressure, we didn't deal with that. We didn't, we didn't focus. Penalty count was was six scrum penalties, one short arm penalty. So I, I, I think that's what got people so riled up. But the scoreline and individual performances at times, I thought, were was really, really good. And to come away from Twickenham with a, with a 17-point win, you know, you would have taken that at the start of the game, definitely. Jerry, you were there. A lot of people who were there said it was as lively a Twickenham atmosphere for an Ireland game as they can remember. I don't know, maybe to some extent the red card early on seemed to galvanise both team and crowd and there was almost an, an embracing of a Mission Impossible style offering on, on their part. And I, 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 I don't know, it came through the TV as pretty lively. What was your experience of it? Yeah, I've never known it louder. I've never known it. it brilliant. It was a cauldron. I mean, I heard Jonico Callahan giving out a little bit about it on the on the radio this morning saying that, you know, he didn't like the the booing of two penalties taken by Johnny Sexton, the the booing of Irish players going down injured and so forth. But I tell you what, it was fairly lively and they got behind their team and they celebrated every little moment and most of those little moments revolved around their scrum and they hung on into the game. Um Ireland started brilliantly. I mean, some of the some of the handling early on and the ambition right from the kickoff was superb. The tip on, the tip ins, the wraps, the pullbacks, the lines of running, the timing of passes. It was the, the the ease with which they could get to the outside edges, whether mostly James Lowe, but also Hugo Keenan and on the other side. I thought they were they started the game superbly. And if Caelan Doris's try isn't overruled for a marginal call for a knock on against Gary Ringrose when his hand is his wrist is tapped by Mario Toji, which Matthew Reynal, when he was initially on the pitch, signaled the ball went back and he was perfectly positioned. And no real camera angle showed distinctly whether the ball did go back or forward. It looked like it had gone back. If that try is given and Ireland go 15-0 up, I'm not sure there's much of a way back into the game for England because then England have to score tries. And that is not this English team's forte scoring tries. But in any event, um, the the refereeing of the scrums, as much as the actual performance of scrums, like wheeling scrums becoming penalties, first one, then two, then three. It was interesting that 
Mike Ross reckoned a couple of those penalties should have gone to Ireland. Even Nigel Owens reckoned the penalty count that those scrums could have been 3-3 or 4-2 to England, but certainly a couple should have gone to Ireland. But anyway, it gave England a huge in into the game and they went to the area of bombardment and they chased hard and they competed hard. Brilliant though Hugo's was under the high ball and they got their way back into the game and when it got back to 15-all, it got to be really ropey and uncomfortable, as uncomfortable as it's been in some of the bad days there, like 10 years ago when there was that scrum carnage. And normally when a team um, is under the pump at scrum time and gives away six penalties and the penalty count is 58, they lose the match. I thought this game was a huge game in the evolution of this Irish team, Joe, before, beforehand. I thought with an hour gone, the score 15-all, it had become an even bigger one. Because could you imagine if Ireland had lost that game? I wouldn't like to what damage it would have done. It would have meant that, you know, it added to the defeat in Paris. It would have meant that the last big win away from home would have been pretty much Twickenham 2018. Given last year they won an empty Rome and an empty Murrayfield. So it would have been a long time since the last significant away win because they lost in Twickenham before the pandemic as well. So to show the composure they did and come through and win and get a bonus point, I think was hugely significant in this team's development. And I, I felt more than relief at the end. It was largely relief, I agree with you, but I just thought it was a very important statement win for this team to survive that storm and come through. Wonderful impact from the bench. You know, they the, 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 the have a strength and depth of the bench that has four lines really shone through in that game. I know Ian Henderson gave away three penalties and his carrying wasn't as strong as it normally is, but, you know, I think he'll get better for that game. You'll have to now with James Ryan and Ryan Baird both out next week. Um, because presumably he'd start with Ty Byrne. I thought there was outstanding performance from Ty Byrne and Caelan Doris and Josh van der Fleer as usual. Keenan at the back has never been better. Ireland might well have lost if Keenan not had been so good. Um, it wasn't just his try. It was you, you think of that skillful moment when he delays his pass when Jack Noel goes to the intercept and he shifts the ball onto Gary Reno's onto Andrew Conway before it's recycled for the Jack Conan try. I think that was 13 phases. It was probably the best phase of rugby. So Ireland came back and imposed themselves on England again. Like I was particularly delighted to see Conor Murray come on in the 60-odd minutes. Just, ah, oh, yes, this is made for a player of his experience. Three World Cups, three Lions tours, of 80-odd caps, you know, all that game know-how. Even a little thing like taking a mark, as if to say, right, every calm down, let them shout and sing all they want and, you know, swing low, sweet child. Everybody's calm down and take a mark and then quickly feed the ball to James Lowe, who was huge in the day. And I just thought they came through moments of crisis with real composure and won well in the end. And, Ultimately, you know, they passed two and a half times more than England did. They made eight line breaks to one, scored four tries to nil. In the end, yes, you can say it was down to England towering, but I don't think it was that simple because England had struggled to finish out games against Scotland and Wales before Ireland. And I think, you know, it was the brand of rugby that Ireland played contributed to towering England out. After all, the penalty that led to the fourth bonus point try was by Joe Marlowe, hadn't been on the pitch that long. Mm. And it was easy not rolling away. So I think... I was a bit surprised by some of the criticism. It's been, I've never known such a disparity of views on an Irish performance, an Irish win in, in all my times as a journalist. Yeah. I don't, but I thought overall, I was very pleased with that Irish team that they came through. Because like I said, imagine the consequences if they'd lost. I think perhaps, perhaps the disparity of views, Fiona, depends on how much of a disadvantage you think 14 men is for 77 minutes. And also, what is your threshold for turning the ball over when you're trying to play a certain style of play. Because Ireland had 17 turnovers, which is huge. And there is absolutely no doubt that on a number of occasions the pass was forced. And I think some onlookers will think, 
well that's just part of the style we're playing and that's why we're scoring all these tries that's why we're cutting teams open and you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggshells and that kind of a thing whereas others are looking at it saying well this is borderline unprofessional they're against 14 men just go through a few phases you see what happens when they take England through lots of phases for the Jack Conan try that was about a two minute sequence of play you, you eventually because of the numbers game you go over and so Ireland made very hard work of this I think that maybe is the nub of the issue perhaps yeah, Ireland had to be a lot more clinical at times. But what you what people forget is that you know you've got you've got a referee that's listening to the crowd, absolutely going mental. They don't know why the red card. Us at home heard it explained perfectly, but you've people in the crowd that probably didn't understand. Was that definitely a red card? They're putting a lot of pressure on the referee. There's a lot of noise. England are exceptionally pumped up now. They're down one man. So this puts this puts massive pressure on a team playing against someone like that it went from is England talking about how physical they're going to be at the breakdown and how they're going to impose that to Ireland to an English team you know just up and they're thinking they're going to lose a match because they're one down but that brings a lot of pressure onto Ireland and I think I think Joe I think with that with that pressure Ireland saw the space and tried to get there a little bit too soon at times with some beautiful pullbacks and that worked well in that first for that first try but it was almost like we stopped with that same game plan and Ireland really tried to, to get a couple of double pullbacks and get that ball out wide and at that English defence who are a man down the space was out wide but their aggression in rushing up really killed a ball and penalties at scrum time added to that pressure so it's it's very very hard I think sometimes and they say this sometimes when you're down a man it's actually harder to play against a team like that you have a game plan but what you're what you're missing out with that is that you know you have a team aggrieved and you have players who are more hungry than they were to start off with mm. On the scrum then, let's deal with that issue so you can give us your experience, obviously, of what was going on there. I think everybody has been struck by the uh, post-refereeing review. And even as Jerry mentioned, Nigel Owens was saying it could have been 4-2. Maybe it could have been 3-3 for those six consecutive penalties. So Matthew Renal saw what he saw and England were getting away with what they were getting away with. I suppose the obvious question is, why didn't Tyg Furlong and Keane Healy turn to the dark arts as well? Yeah, that's that's the question that that really kind of bothered me is that they're they're so you know how many caps have they got between them? They're they're out there. They they know the game. They know their stark arts. But it, it, they didn't seem to fix that. But I think the issue with that was that there was a double thing going on. So not only was Genge. Um, I think angling in on Furlong, I think they were chasing their feet after the hit. And and sometimes when that happens, and if you try and fix one, you're getting caught under pressure with two. So there was a lot of dark arts going on there. It was, I was completely flabbergasted in the moment watching it live that Reynal could not see how, especially in the first half, how Genge was scrummaging. It was it was crazy to me. I think the, the Irish front row were, were, were caught with that as well. But they then decided to maybe take away that hit. And we saw Dan Sheen getting pinged twice for a short arm and a full penalty because they were cutting that hit and they were probably engaging a little bit too soon. So I, I, I think that's the thing that really upset me about that area, that they weren't able to deal with it. I thought maybe they would have gone in at halftime. I heard Furlong speaking to Reynal saying, look, they're chasing after the hit. There's no hold. They're not waiting for the ball in. And, and when they came out, I thought this Ireland team were really going to put a lot of pressure and maybe crab to the left to take away that angle for Genge. But it, it just didn't seem to happen. And I think Genge probably sorted his discipline out at times in the second half as well. And we saw the English 
second rows power through. So England looked really, really dominant because they were ending up going forward and on top of Ireland when, when Renal was looking at that picture. Because Jerry, I don't think Genge or Sinclair would be renowned as world-class scrummagers. You know, that wouldn't be their main uh, weapon, I suppose, on a pitch. Did the Irish camp say anything of note about what had happened in that department afterwards? No, not really, because um, we weren't given any of the starting front row uh, rowers or John Progley, the scrum coach. All Andy Farrell said afterwards was, no, he's not worried at all. Uh, he said, we've got a world-class scrum. And I think what he was doing was was putting on a brave front until there's the, the post-match inquest with World Rugby and Matthew right now to see what the outcome of that is. And also, he doesn't want this to become an issue going forward. But that is the that would be my biggest concern that every opposition coach from Gregor Townsend next weekend to Razzie Erasmus at the World Cup pool stages and indeed the All Blacks for the three tests next summer will look at uh, that game in Twickenham on Saturday and think, right, that's this is our this is a very good Irish side, but this is one of the few ways we might be able to hurt them. Their Achilles heel might be their scrum, and there's no doubt that the the lack of real depth in the front row is a concern for Ireland. Uh, admittedly, three of the starting tight five that started out. The, tournament were gone from the second minute onwards of that game at Twickenham because you had James Ryan missing as well as um, Andrew Porter and Roman Kelleher but it, that would be my concern that Ireland are going to be targeted ferociously hereafter about this and it's something that I think is that becomes an even more important element of next week's game Joe because yeah. Scotland will do the same and if it becomes an issue two games running well then it is an issue but very often the case is you're, if the team is particularly weak in one area of the game in one given week they work at that so assiduously in the ensuing week that they rectify the problems next week. But either way, it's going to be a very, very significant aspect to next week's game. And one other thing, Fiona makes a very good point about the people in the ground being the only, only people who don't actually know what's going on sometimes. I remember being at a Stamford Bridge match between Chelsea and Arsenal just before the uh, just before the Six Nations started in 2020. When we went the Six Nations launch. I happened to be lucky enough to be offered a ticket to go to the game. And whenever there's a VAR, the only people who don't know what's going on or the 60, 70 or 80,000 people, whoever it is, the paying customers, mm. whether they're watching in the pub or watching at home, knows exactly what's going on. I think it was a point Alex Slow made in the London Times today. And, you know, really, rugby should maybe think about when there's a decision made, putting up on the big screen, get reckless tackle, head-to-head, red card offence. So it gives some explanation to the paying spectators as to what decision has just been made, because it seems daft to me that the paying spectators are the, the least informed. So was the replay of the incident not put up on a big screen in the stadium now? Yeah, sure it is. But sure it is. But I suppose they, 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 the replay is. But the explanation you hear from Reynal through the protocols, the lack of mitigating factors, his discussion with Marius Jonker, the TMO, that is not, unless there's, there's a tiny percentage of people that might have a radio, a ref link in the ground. Otherwise, they, they just think it would help if there was an explanation put up on the yeah. screen what the decision is and why. Yeah, generally, I agree with you. Now, if anyone needed an explanation about the Charlie Ewells tackle, then... We're in bigger trouble than I thought, but I, I take the general Ah, you know what point. I'm saying, though. Yeah, That's the general point I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone who was booing the sending off and had seen the replay, I mean, good luck to you, but you're willfully misunderstanding what happened there. So the booing had nothing to do with not understanding. It was the most obvious red card I think I've seen all championship. I'd say the Italian one was just as obvious because that shoulder to head. A lot of people, a lot of rugby supporters might look at that and think, oh, it's just accidental and not get the not get the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, of course, that James Ryan went off with another concussive. And that's, I mean, rugby's been at this now for five years, nearly five years since Sonny Bill Williams got red carded in that second test in Wellington against the Lions. And yet there's still debate as to whether there should be red cards or not. And it seems to be become, seems to be more discussion around it this season 
than there has been in the previous few. And still, tackle heights aren't being lowered. I mean, it's just, it's, I don't get it. It's, no. I, I agree with you. I think this is a clear day red card. But you'd be surprised. A lot of people watching the Italian-Ireland game, even Irish fans, didn't think that was a red card. Yeah. We'll, cir- we'll circle back to the high tackle situation because it, it does merit conversation. Just a, a last one on the scrum, Fiona, then. So Jerry's talking about the Scottish game next week being an interesting litmus test now. So the line has been said over the last 48 hours that this proves that Ireland need more depth in the front row. Part of me is wondering if that's quite true. Like, missing three of the tight five, you're missing your loose head, you're missing your starting hooker. You bring in somebody like Keen Healy, who I presume is not going to have a day like that again. Are we like is this not as bad as it gets? Are we not just fine in terms of depth, or would you have your worries? I think we're fine as in terms of depth. I think this is an Irish thing to do. We we panic straight away. I mean, as Jerry said, it's it's one game, and we're going off one referee's interpretation of the laws of scrum. So next week we could be really really dominant, and this isn't even discussed at all. I, I I'm quite happy. I think the likes of Dan Sheehan sometimes maybe and it's more rugby is what he needs you know we know what he we saw him around the pitch we know what he's doing in the lineup maybe it's scrum we, it mightn't we've we've got herring who we know is an absolutely exceptional scrummager but maybe it's scrum the likes of dan sheehan so it's the more game time that these guys can get there's going to be that ongoing debate about ty burn in the second row is he strong enough we didn't question about it when we were beating wales or, or, or other games like that so i think the depth is there i think we just need to back the system and if there's an issue next week then we have to look at maybe getting bigger, bigger second rows in there. But I think anyone that's coming on, and you've guys chomping at the bit. I mean, we would have loved to see Ryan Baird get on, and we'd love to see him play next week. He's not available, but we have guys that will t- will take a step up. And the more game time they get at that level is what really stands. And I think this Andy Farrell team needs to start getting those guys in there and getting them games. Yeah, Jerry, would you be worried about depth in the scrum, or do you think this is as bad as it gets, and they're unlikely to have a day again like that with? personnel that we saw on on uh, Saturday. Mm, I think that I think there is a bit of an issue with that to be honest in the front row particularly in the props both sides. I mean look in Paris like both Andrew Porter and um Tyke Brodham played more than 70 minutes. Um that tells you a lot. Sure. Um, and I think that uh no I think there is a, but like I said and, and Fiona's agreeing with me the, the proof will be next Saturday to a large degree if it happens two weeks in a row then it really is an issue going forward. If it doesn't happen next week, then that issue can put to bed. And, you know, the narrative can come out of the Irish camp that Matthew Reynal got a few of those decisions wrong, which it looks like he did do. Yeah. Sorry, I do take your Paris point, actually. I'm not I'm not sure if having Tyke Furlong and Porter, Furlong in particular, playing almost 80 minutes is the way to go, especially at a World Cup with lots of games coming thinking fast. That might, that might get Ireland in hot water. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So... On uh, the uh, point of momentum change here, Johnny Sexton said an interesting thing, Fiona. He said, we would have lost that game two years ago. And I didn't I didn't fully know what he meant by that, but maybe Hugo Keenan shed some light on it because he was saying afterwards that under the sticks at 15 points apiece, he said, I remember Ian Henderson, Jonathan Sexton bringing us together and saying, this is the punch in the face that we've been talking about. It's time to settle. So it does seem as if this team have almost been trying to prepare for these moments where everything's off kilter and, and, and finding a way to reset. And clearly they did. What was the big difference between, say, that 20 minutes where England were moving towards 15 points apiece and then the final 20 minutes of the game? 
the thing that I saw there was a big momentum change as well is that Ireland were winning those little battles. I, I remember, you know, you had 67 minutes. We saw that line out steal where Herring grabbed the ball, settled things down. We had a couple of turnovers that were involved in that. But but the biggest thing for me was when, when Ireland started playing flat on the game line. They started giving those pops. They were literally trying to hit the ball up. They weren't afraid of that is England physicality. They probably had worn the defence down as such, but they were far more confident. You'd like to say Henderson carrying it in. You had you had um the likes of Conan coming on, making those big carries, and it just seemed to settle them down. They were almost earning the right to get to that wide face. And then you always have Lowe's boot who worked really, really well for us. And you had Andrew Conway with a couple of those uh, 50-22s. So it was almost like they took a breather, they settled down, they earned those yards, they worked really hard. And then you had to look at a green in a couple of areas as well. Mm. A quote from Eddie Jones, Jerry, which caught my eye. He said, we want to be an old fashioned England pack and a new fashioned England attack. Now, first part, absolutely, we saw that. As for the new-fashioned England attack, look, maybe it's because they're down to 14 men and backs against the wall. I've no idea what this team are really working towards. Like, all the statistics. Metres gained, 555 Ireland, 214 England. Ireland had 192 passes. England to that 192 passes had 69. Uh, Ireland had 143 runs. England, 59. And then defenders beaten. Ireland, 26. England, 7. Ireland, 8 clean line breaks to England's one. On every metric, uh, it bears up what we saw is, is that England played about the most basic game plan you could imagine. And then Jones sitting in the press conference afterwards saying, we're aspiring to old-fashioned England pack and new-fashioned England attack. I, 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 what are your thoughts on what's going on here with this team? Because it doesn't make much sense. Well, yeah, I remember, I might even said in the show last week, I certainly wrote it last week, that this, this still looked to me like old England v New Ireland. And that's the reason why I'm so chuffed that Ireland did win this game because it's they're playing a brand of rugby that is risky, but it is it's high risk, high reward, and it's probably the most enjoyable brand of rugby that we've ever seen from an Irish team, like period ever. Um, we're not seeing anything like the same from England. There's nothing like the same variety of options for the ball carrier. It's uh, it's supposedly just unstructured. He, he regards what Ireland do as very structured, as very, very interesting, but very structured. So he put it where or England after three phases just doesn't matter the number on your back. And they did get wide a couple of times. That time that Joe Martian threw out that pass that was about four metres forward to Sam Simmons that Mike could drive to miss. But by and large, they just, it was scrum dominance, take three points and put the ball in the air and chase hard. Um, and maybe go to the corner for a couple of malls, which the Irish mall defence was excellent. In, whereas in the past, that might have been England's route to victory, as well as a scrum, the malls in the corner. Um, in terms of their attacking game against, if you take out Italy, Against Scotland, Wales and Ireland, they scored two tries in three matches. Once from a bit of Marcus Smith individualism off a line-out mall that was motoring forward and once through cramping the space and nudging Adam Baird off the ball against Wales to get an overthrow for Alex Dunbrandt to score. I can't remember really any occasion in the entire three matches where any of their centres or any of their outside three players have even looked like scoring try. I think he's pulling the wool over their eyes, to be honest. And all this tiresome talk at the World Cup, the World Cup... Look, he's undoubtedly a past master at getting teams to work up and performing very well there. He's helped South Africa, Australia and Japan all in the past and England. Look, he, his record is there, but this new England attacking game, um, no, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Fiona, if he didn't have the phenomenal, the admittedly phenomenal 
previous World Cup record to fall back on here. There would be nothing to suggest this plan is coming together right now. No, and it's it's like this New England. I think he's picked out New England players. You see, like I'm watching the Premiership and I see Randall and, you know, we know what Marcus Smith can bring. I thought Marchant actually had a really good game um, against Ireland as well. But but in general, I, it's it's like the players, but I just don't know what, what they're playing, what type of system. It's not exciting brand of rugby, you know, other than Marcus Smith taking it upon himself. Like I've watched Harry Randall and he is one of the most exciting nines to break through, but I just don't see it with England. It's like he's structured, he's putting in the box. We have him box kicking. The ball isn't getting out wide. They're they're liter- they're using their forwards, but we we're, we haven't seen any of this back line that's, that's meant to be exciting. And Freddie Stewart's another player who lights it up, but we haven't seen anything with him handball in hand being exciting at times either. Mm. Jerry, in terms of what we might have learned about selection, uh, Conor Murray very much justified his position on the bench. I was asking about that last week and wondering at times, do we need tempo? And uh, certainly we saw his composure and that was important. Robbie Henshaw probably comes back into an Irish starting 15, given the impact he made on the game potentially. What about around this area of second row and back row now? Let's uh, assume and hope for a second that James Ryan makes a speedy recovery. I know he's out for the Scotland game, but just with a view to the medium term, let's presume he's available for the purposes of this conversation. There is a sense that Caelan Doris is better at eight. And equally, mm. equally, we saw Jack Conan uh, do a very fine job when he came on. Peter Romani, probably less effective. So where are we now in this Ian Henderson, Tygburn, James Ryan, back row equation? Well, it's been interesting because in, Tyburn has been an ever-present for Ireland this season and he hasn't played one minute in the back row, Joe. Yeah. Regarded, strictly speaking, as a lock. He started every game in the lock and, at lock and in the um, All Blacks game, he came on for the last 30-odd minutes in the second row as well. So that doesn't seem to be an option they're exploring at the minute. I guess um, Ian Henderson's injury for a, a portion of this championship, though, may be a deciding factor there. Yeah, well... Uh, well, it's certainly speaking in the, in the short term for next week, because James Ryan is out and Ryan Baird's out, it's almost certainly going to be um, a tight Bernie and Henderson second row. Um, you would imagine with Kieran Treadwell as backup. That's you'd imagine the way they're going to go for next week. Um, and then we have to wait and see to the the All Blacks tour will reveal more. They're thinking about Byrne as an option at six with a more beefed up second row. But Byrne's gone brilliantly in the second row so far. So I'm not sure they're, they're about to change from there. Mm. What about Doris versus Conan? Is, Dor- um, I, is, is Doris so much better at eight as to almost say, well, we have to have this guy in as eight? I mean, geez, Jack Conan hasn't done much wrong over the last 18 months, has he? No, he hasn't. But he had one a relatively quieter game in Paris. He was hooked off after about 52, 53 minutes and then was put on the bench against Italy. Now, if you look back at the Italian selections, all the other selections, you could say they were injury related because some players were coming back or they wanted to have a look at Michael Larry at fullback as Hugo Keane had played 18 games in a row. The one selection where there was no real look into the future, anything that was injury related, was the new back row with Peter Manley starting at six and Jack staying the bench and Caelan Doris moving to eight. Because, you know, with a player like Doris, he is going to get more involvements um, on the ball at eight because he's not coming around to the blind side of the scrum or whatever. He's just going to get, it's just the way of the world that the number eight gets the ball in hands more often. And that's when Doris does his most brilliant work. I mean, he's not far off world class in my view. And I think he would have gone the Lions tour, but for his own concussions issues last week so it's a nice headache to have like you know there are going to be times when maybe he or Conan will be injured and so therefore you've got an option at eight you've got an option at six going back to the the Leinster back row I think it's quite fluid and don't you're really going to have a case where all of them are the fit and available if they are I still think James Ryan is nailed on starting second row 
and probably with Ty Byrne and it might be that they will go back to Dars at six and Conan at eight and Van der at seven as Leinster have done for much of this season but it's it's it'll partly be based on form as well I don't think there's a hard and fast rule in it at this moment in time Yeah, yeah Look, as Terry says, Fiona it's a fallacy to almost even imagine all of them being fit at the same time but how would you see it at the moment based on what we you know the last couple of games on Saturday? Yeah, you see a lot of people overlook Peter Romani, but I think he brings a, a leadership on the, onto the mm-hmm. team as well. And and that's something people looked at in Paris that was lacking maybe a little bit. And, and I think he brought it and obviously he did a good game for Italy. Relatively quiet game, but that allows Conan then to come on and do the damage. So so you can look at it that way. Obviously, Conan wants to be playing there. For me, Doris has to be eight. That's where, that's where we see him at his best. He's making those meters off the back of the scrum. He just seems to get around the pitch a lot more. Very noticeable. He's an excellent player and can play six. But I think this Irish team going into those three November tests over in New Zealand and especially going into World Cup, we want to be giving him that time at eight because he's absolutely amazing. And and he's, his footwork and everything about him is, is, is getting better and better with each game. Yeah, OK. Well, be interesting to watch it in New Zealand and, and see what direction they go in. Uh, the Charlie Ewells tackle then, Jerry. so w- we alluded to it. Uh, how many years now have World Rugby been trying to implement this culture change? Are we any further along than, say, two years ago in terms of what we're seeing in the general cut and thrust to play? High tackles, have they come down at all? I think they have. I think we have seen them come down, but to be honest, we're seeing an awful lot more offloading in the game as a result. You know, offloading stats have clearly gone up. That would be my clear impression anyway. Not just Ireland are trying to offload more. I know not all of them went to hand. We all left, but 11 did and you know, if, if two or three more do, they win even more comfortably. And I think that's partly because tackle counts have been brought down. Um, I think what it does do, though, it highlights the this, the daftness of this idea that red cards should become 20-minute-only offences. Because then that counters against this campaign to make yeah. rugby a safer game and reduce the amount of concussions. You're then saying, on the one hand, we're outlawing head-high hits. But on the other hand, we're not going to punish them as much as we used to. The player who committed the act won't come back on, but he can be replaced 20 minutes later. That, why make it less of a deterrent? I don't get that thinking at all. Maybe I'm missing something. Well, but, could, could I play devil's advocate for a second? Because I, I, I yeah. definitely see where you're coming from. Uh, the argument maybe could be expanded to red card, quote unquote, ruins the game. And therefore, the 20 minutes is a sufficient deterrent allied to a lengthy ban afterwards, i.e. if you've been given, a, let's call it an orange card, for instance, in this case, if you've been given an orange card and had your 20 minutes, your team down to 40 minutes for 20 minutes and you come off and you're replaced by another, but you know as well you're going to get a month ban for that high hit and therefore we both hopefully have enough of a deterrent and also protect the integrity of 15 versus 15 where possible, then maybe that's a, a better balance. I mean, that's a thought. Yeah, it's a thought to go, but to your first point, and I know you're only being devil's advocate, Joe, um, so I'm not accusing you of saying this, but for me, um, a red card ruins game is actually a cliche. That's not always borne out by the facts. Ireland won in Cape Town at the first test with 14 players after CJ Stander got sent off. Ireland very nearly won in Cardiff at the first round of Six Nations last year after Peter Manning got sent off, what was it, the 15th minute. Um, England were back at 15 all after an hour, and the place was rocking. Twickenham was absolutely rocking. I would love it if the Aviva would be half as noisy next Saturday, finally awake from its Six Nations slumber this season. Maybe, maybe a few people could even learn the, wor- the words feel the baton Ryan green, or if not, maybe pass tickets on to somebody else. Um, but I don't necessarily think the red card does ruin the game, actually. Certainly not in Saturday's evidence. Yeah. Certainly 
made it more likely that Ireland would win. But that was a belter. It was a pulsating game. You couldn't take your eyes no, off. No, it's true. It's true. It's true. That was a hell of a tangent, by the way, as well. Nice dig at the Aviva and, and swooping back to your original <laughs> point. Wow. <laughs> Took no prison. That was a drive-by. Uh, so, Fiona, what, what give us your, your, your thought on one, to what extent the Charlie Ewell's tackles are decreasing in the game and, and we're seeing, a, you know, a improvements in that front, whether that's happening or not. And then also what kind of uh, treatment should it be? Red card, orange card, some kind of ban? I don't know. Yeah, I think if, if they're, I think the change in this year, and, and I've said this before, is that I think, you know, when the referees are looking at more of mitigation, they're, they're kind of really studying that. I think it should be a huge mitigating, like the person was really falling. And I think that's where the, the line is, is being crossed over. And that's why people are saying, how come that isn't a red card? So World Rugby have gone with it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. We have to look after that area. There's too many concussions. There's too much other areas where you can get injured, whereas a high tackle, if we can absolutely rule that out, then a red card is the way forward. It is improving slightly, Joe. Um, not enough. But I think a lot of a lot of teams, a lot of coaches have talked about that they have to go back to tackle tech and they have to look at a lot more at training. Mm-hmm. And and that is definitely a key for me. And I see that with my own players. It just had to be looked in. You might think, OK, we can park tackle tech for this week, but it's about focusing on it week in, week out. And it's a big area because if you lose someone in international rugby, although Jerry has pointed out a couple of times, you know, it's, it doesn't mean you lose the game, but you're really, really letting your team down. And, and that's what I think. I, I think it's an individual thing. Players need to work really, really hard on it. And it needs to be wiped out of the game and a red card is the way forward. They've gone with it, so they need to stick with it and it it needs to be really, really enforced by the referees. There's no mitigating circumstances if there's a slight drop. It has to be just straight red, gone, good luck. But but would it be your suspicion, Fiona, because talking to relatively recent former players, Mm. there is still the sense in the game from defensive coaches that if we allow the opposition to offload and get their hands free, we're in big trouble. So international rugby is played on the line and uh, winning at all costs is the aim here. So defensive coaches in the main, insofar as I can see, are still encouraging players to tackle as high as they can, stop the offload and fingers crossed we won't have a red card. That, that's my sense of what the status quo is out there still. Yeah, but we've seen that what the offload damage can do, you know, so like the skill set is getting higher and higher no, but, every but game we s- watch. Sorry, maybe I wasn't clear. That's that's the point. The defence no, coaches are looking at the offloads yeah. and they're saying we can't have this. We can't have exactly. offloads. So you need to hit them high still. Exactly. So that, that's that's why defences are defence coaches are focusing on that. It, it's not right, but that's the area they're saying. So you can't have a, a one man low tackle. And I've even worked with my own team on that. You have to get someone else on the ball you know, to block that offload. But it's 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 how you work around that. You can still stop the ball from being offloaded without getting a shoulder hit to the head. So mm-hmm. I think it, it it's so technical details that it needs to be focused on. It needs to be really looked at. It's not, let's get an outside shot on that player so they can't offload the ball. It, it has to be broken down and really, really looked at by coaches. Okay, because Jerry, like a wider point, I mean, uh, you see James Ryan collapse and it's, you know, you're very upset for the guy and you're concerned for his health and he had his concussion issues last year and, and you know, nobody here is going to go any further in terms of talking about where that leaves him. But everybody's very, very concerned and it's also just, it's an existential threat for the game if these things continue to happen. Well, that's the bigger picture. That's far bigger picture here than red cards and orange cards. And that's why I think they should agree with Fiona. They should stick with red cards because they've got a, 
eradicate this much more from the game than is the case because there are still too many high hits. There's still too many hit players being concussed or going off for HIAs and not and, and failing their HIAs and not coming back on the pitch. And yeah, the, at an ex- existential level, there's, it's, there's nothing more damaging to the game, more more serious for the, the sport as a whole to address. And every time a referee goes on the pitch and with the help of the world governing body and other authorities, their primary duty of care is the safety of players. And the primary thing to look out for now is making sure that players don't reduce the risk of players getting concussed at all in every possibility of doing that. And that's why, yeah, you're right. I think Fiona's right too. There's a big onus now on like just a five or 10 minute of a tackling drill every week to make sure that this message is hammered home, that tackle heights have to be brought down. Um, and and it, bec- it starts and it starts to a large degree on the training ground as well. And maybe players need absolute reminders of this. I mean, you would have thought mm. would have dropped by now. It's look, you've got to allow some sympathy for players. It's two minutes into game. They're just it's probably the first involvement Charlie Ewells had in the match. He's mm. I'm sure he doesn't mean to hit James Ryan in the head with his own head or anything like that. But it's until and I that's why I think you've got to punish all these events with red cards. No debate about it whatsoever until finally the penny drops. And it's taken longer than we would have thought when you think of Sonny Will- Bill Williams was an anti-Watson four and a half years ago in Wellington, and here we are still having these incidents in the game. But I do think that the only way to remove them or reduce them significantly from the game is for World Rugby and the referees to continue with their current policies. Okay. Not anyway okay folks we're out of time uh, Super Saturday to come thanks so much much appreciated Jerry Thornley of the Irish Times cheers Jerry. cheers Joe, and Fiona Hayes as well thanks a million Fiona cheers no problem Joe hopefully I'll bring up the levels now in the Aviva on Saturday yeah we'll <laughs> learn the words get them going Fiona for <laughs> wear some green will do will do <laughs> thanks very much our rugby coverage here on Off The Ball is with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us Monday Night Rugby on Off The Ball with Vodafone main sponsor of the Irish rugby team we all belong to the team of us